Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Make Your Own Damn Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the wonderful, wacky films of trauma entertainment. Uh, God, we're going on almost 50 years of disrupting media, as they say. Are we not, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, it's about 50 years that they've been doing this shit now. Yeah, um, I think I think the official number is like 47, but, you know, we, always, we like to round up. Um, I... Uh, I bring that up because the movie we're going to talk about today is I feel like if you're aware of trauma, but you're not necessarily a fan, I think if somebody mentions trauma to you, you're going to think either of the toxic Avenger or you're going to think of today's film. I mean, would you say, has that been your experience? Oh uh, yeah. Without a doubt. Um, Like it's, like when people think trauma, if they're not super fans, but they're aware of the concept of trauma, that it's a toxic Avenger, and it's today's movie, the class of Newcomb High. It's like yeah. those are the two that the people think of, and I yeah. think for good reason. I think for good reason. I agree. I agree. They're very formative, and they they are kind of the. Um, I don't know. They both are, and we'll we'll get into it, you know, more in depth. But I feel like they those two films best represent the transition from, uh, you know, um, trauma as makers of sex comedies uh, to trauma as essentially the outsider art weirdness that we, that we love and know today. Um, Yeah. yeah. So class of Newcomb high uh, came out in 1986. And I see that, like all all movies I love, it has like a twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, the little green splat Seriously? instead of the uh yeah, yeah, instead of the uh the fresh Yeah, so um <laughs> I'm here for I, it though, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm honest to God surprised. Like what does like the Toxic Avenger have? Oh gosh, no, no, I'm curious. Um I'm legit surprised that Class of Newcomb High got like so low because Toxie gets 70 okay I don't understand that at all because I don't see how you could like one and not like the other they're so similar similar. yeah it's um yeah they I mean they perfectly embody um that era of trauma and I don't know I feel like that era of cinema in a lot of ways like they're the they're the you know they're like kind of these twisted doppelganger versions of like 80s movies yeah and like i i definitely feel though that like class of newcomb high since its release definitely found its audience like i think this is fairly regard highly regarded as like a cult classic like a legit cult classic i mean yeah like my guess you know just like without having really deep diving on it um, I, I assume a lot of the reviews, maybe even all of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are um, reviews that were contemporary with the release yeah. and not, you know, um, not, you know, uh, reviews from uh, more recent times, which I think I think in more recent times, people would hold this film in a much higher regard. I know I certainly do. Um but yeah, this is uh this is this is a cult classic. I mean, in every sense of the word. It's uh 
don't know. It's got um. I mean, well, it's, it's technically. I would argue it's Troma's biggest uh, franchise because there is four sequels to this movie, which is hmm. so. There's a total of five Class of Newcomb High movies. Toxic Avenger is still at four, and some people but, might be like Toxic Crusaders. Yeah. But I'm like, that's a children's cartoon show, so I have a really hard time considering it part of the Toxie franchise. I guess technically it is, but I still have a hard time considering it part. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, we are talking about, yeah, like, uh, five canon, five films in the canon, I guess we'll say. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, yeah, you know, that weird aberration that is toxic crusaders which we will talk about on a future future episode i am oh that's gonna be interesting <laughs> i am confident we will um so what uh what does the trauma website say about class of newcomb high jeff all right this is a description that trauma has up on their website <clears throat> class of newcomb high the timeless classic of reading writing and radiation is available for the first time ever in this unrated director's cut when first released in theaters in 1986, Class of Newcomb High became an instant sensation. It, its unique blend of horror and humor was cheered by audiences and celebrated by critics. None of that's true. The film was a flop on release. Critics hated it. None of that's true. The film spawned two sequels and legions of fans. Also not true. The film spawned four sequels. They need to update the description. Ah, uh, that's amazing. At Trim- I'm having a problem with like every sentence so far. At Trimmerville High School, located a stone's throw from the local nuclear power plant, the students are getting brighter. In fact, they're beginning to develop a trauma green glow. In this, <laughs> students mutate into sex-crazed psychos. The honor society turned into a carnivorous kinky cretins, and the slimy monster stalking the hallways isn't the principal. The director's cut of Class of Newcomb High has been lovingly restored by co-director Lloyd Kaufman, who developed the film during detention, and the trauma team. Never-before-seen footage found in the Tromaville's Choma, high school girls' bathroom has been added. The film inc- – uh, and then it's some advertisements about bonus features. But that's essentially the description Troma has up. That is fascinating. So um, I see that – the film was directed by Lloyd Kaufman, Michael yes. Hurst, and somebody named Richard W. Haynes. Yes. What and, do you know about uh, this guy? So Richard W. Haynes actually worked on a bunch of the earlier trauma films. He was kind of like a production staff, and um, he ended up, I believe he worked in either like editing or production or something along those lines. And um, in the early days of Troma, when essentially all they had was the Lloyd Kaufman films, and they had just beginning to expand, and they had did um, they financed uh, Mother's Day, which we've already talked about, mm-hmm. and they had just bought the rights to uh, Blood Sucking Freaks, and they hadn't really been begun to really fully expand their distribution. They were looking to get another director on their staff. And so they went to the internal guy that they had been working with them. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, Haynes was an editor. Yeah, he edited Mother's Day, and he edited Toxic Avenger, and um, uh, he worked on these He worked on uh, like these other trauma movies. And so they offered – he had developed a script that he called Atomic High School. 
and the they had hired uh, Troma hired and financed him to make into a movie, and I'm not entirely sure what happened on the uh, DVD commentary for this movie. Um, or I should say the well now Blu-ray. I, I watched the Blu-ray and listened to the commentary on the Blu-ray. Lloyd Kaufman says that. Uh, Haynes essentially had to be um, okay. Like Kaufman nicely puts it and says that he had to step in to assist with uh, completing the movie because Haynes was essentially in over his head. And the further research I can find of this movie, apparently Haynes only ever actually directed one scene of the movie, yeah. and that when Lloyd Kaufman stepped stepped in, they rewrote the entire script. And uh, the one, we'll get to the one scene that was actually from Atomic High School. Uh, hmm. That's pretty late in the movie, actually, which I found interesting. That um, a little hint: there's one Cretan who only shows up in one scene of the movie, and that scene is the uh, one that is the only wow. scene of the movie that Richard Haynes actually directed. So, Troma apparently was nice and still credits him as as co-directing it with Lloyd Kaufman, though it really sounds like he was removed from the production. He never worked on another trauma movie after this, and yeah. then he went on to do his own movies. Um, he did Splatter University, which is a movie I've definitely heard of. I've never seen it, though. I've never but seen then, it either, but that sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, I've, I've seen that name about. And yeah. then he also did a bunch of movies that I ship have never heard of, like Space Avenger, Head Games, Run for Color, um, yeah, Run for Cover, Run for Cover, and, <laughs> and then he, and then he became like a like a like novelist, and he wrote like a bunch of novels. Oh, that's wow! I wonder. That's that's interesting. That's a that's quite a storied career for Mr. Haynes there. Um, man. Yeah, so, directing is uh, directing is not an easy job, guys. I've never directed. I have been a part of several film projects from things filmed with like zero budget in Same. whatever places we could get permission to. And I've also like I'm in an episode of Portlandia, and so I've also been on on, on like some big productions. And no, it does not seem fun at all. Yeah. No. Um... Yeah, uh, there's this there's this uh, a friend of ours. I, I I won't say their name, but they he he want he want he was tell asking me if I had any scripts and you know and, and I and I kind of wrote a thing and and he's like, all right, yeah, I want to do this. Like he's good at operating cameras and stuff. He's like, but you have to direct it. And I was like, I I don't know. I don't think I want to. <laughs> I don't think I want to. <laughs> like uh, you know, I, I I was like, I have no experience doing that. And he's like, oh, it's easy. I was like, I don't think that's true. From like listening to like interviews and readings I've done for like directors I like, it seems like the key to being a director is you have to know how every single step of the film process works, which yeah. is pretty intense. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I I could I could not. Um, I don't know. I don't envision myself. I don't envision myself doing that anytime soon. I will never say never to anything, but you know, I just, I, yeah, I just don't, and I don't, I don't think it's easy. Let's just put it that way. 
And yeah, uh, though uh, apparently uh, Richard Haynes did go on to direct some other movies. I don't know if they're any good though. Yeah, and that's not a slight against him. I just have no idea if they're any good. Yeah. Splatter University is a very cool title, though. I will say. Yes, it is. And I, like I said, I've definitely have come across that title about. Um, you know what? I should have looked. Up. I'm like ninety percent sure it's on Shutter. Like I feel like I've seen that like title. Yeah, I want to see what the movie poster is. To, if I'm like, oh, that movie, and uh, but I'm really, really not sure. Um, oh no, I have no idea what this movie is. No, and this wow. is actually uh, this actually predates uh, this predates um, Class of Newcomb High. Okay, yeah. So I guess he would have done Spire University, and then they would have hired him on uh, Newcomb High. Like I said, though, I don't really know what the whole uh, deal is over how he got removed from the project, and yeah, like it doesn't. S- like I said, it sounds to me an awful lot like reading between the lines the way that uh, Kaufman talks about it in the commentary and the way that the entire script is apparently rewritten to the degree that the main villain of the movie changes. Uh, mm. There's supposed to be a different main villain than what we saw. Um, I'm thinking he got removed, like, that it was like, all right, you can't do this. For some reason, it was like, you, we, we can't have you making this movie. We need to have somebody else step in and take control. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I I had a feeling like there had to be something because like, um, yeah, it doesn't say it like on on Wikipedia or maybe it does, but uh, on on uh, one. Of, yeah, so it said it has like three directors listed, which is like almost unheard of, you know. So I was like, there has to be a reason, you know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that makes sense. Whatever it is, I don't know. Oh, apparently one of his later movies had a cameo, uh, had cameos from Ed Koch and uh, Reverend Al Sharpton. Oh, well then, that's uh... weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to make of that. <laughs> um, oh, and uh, yeah, you know, it is worth mentioning that um, that uh, Lloyd Kaufman actually uh, directed under his uh, pseudonym at the time, Samuel Wheel. Yep, um, which has because... gone to the bottom, bottom of, that was about, it was a, uh, oh, it, I, I actually have more information on that, in fact, from the commentary of Klaus Newcomb High. Oh, Specifically cool. what it was, uh, Trauma wasn't pulling in enough money for to support itself and to support Lloyd Kaufman, and so what he was doing was he was working as a production assistant on major Hollywood uh, mm. releases. One of which I know, like, um, he's well known for being the uh, production scout for the Rocky, the first Rocky movie. Uh, right, right. Lloyd Kaufman has a cameo in the first Rocky movie. He plays a homeless drunk bum, which... That's amazing. So on brand. It's so on brand. <laughs> it is. And, um, and so uh, he was a part of one of the uh, unions uh, that... He was a part of one of the unions to be able to work on one of the, on these Hollywood productions as this like production assistant, and the way the union rules worked at the time, he was unable to then also independently make movies. He couldn't independently direct under the name, so that's why he had a pseudonym. Yeah. He was trying to hide the fact 
that, and it's almost weird to think about it now, that Lloyd Kaufman was trying to stay quiet over who he was at the time. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, uh, though you can, yeah, you know, those 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 rules um, and those writers' unions, uh, can they can be really strict. I mean, uh, yeah, um, somebody who we know is like now now part of one of them and he's got to be a lot more selective about what he does and who he who he does does it with i guess yeah because um, they'll, they'll 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 boot you they'll fine you you'll get you'll get blacklisted like yeah, all sorts ugly. of things can happen yeah yeah so uh yeah you know that's 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 showbiz i guess <laughs> and then so when rewriting this movie also um it was kind of interesting hearing some of like Lloyd Kaufman's thoughts on the rewriting of like where class of Newcomb high came from of, uh, they had just been enjoying some uh, minor success with toxic Avenger. And they specifically, when they came time for them to take over this production, uh, Michael Hurst and, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, they specifically wanted to kind of create then a follow-up to toxic Avenger, you know, something else to capture, that magic and so uh, as, as Toxic Avenger is a like combination of like horror and superhero uh, genres with also some of that like 80s uh, sex uh, sexploitation mm -hmm. uh, worked in this they were like all right well let's let's combine like horror and like the high school high school sex comedy which yeah. was also like a super huge thing at the time. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, uh, like the Toxic Avenger, like, I I feel like Class of Newcomb High, you know, still, uh, you know, there's still a lot, um, a lot tying it to uh, Troma's sex comedy root, uh, roots. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, what, the first half of the movie, the, all the main characters, their goal is just to get laid. Just to get laid. Like, yeah, those, that, that uh, line of dialogue that I texted to you last night where, you know, like, uh, I think the the main character, Warren, like his, uh, you know, he mentions getting ready for college. And then his friend says, like, says, like, cramming, if you want to get ready for college, you better start ramming. <laughs> Which is a great line. Now, here's something interesting. Was that part of the movie that you watched? Yes. Yes. The version I watched on DVD did not have that scene. Interesting. That so, scene was included in the deleted scene special features on the Blu-ray. See, so uh, what I noticed, um, what I was going to ask if you had any information on that, because on Troma Now, uh, which is where I watched it, um, it, you know, they have the 125-minute version. I'm sorry, the, the hour and 25-minute version, which I watched. Um, but they also had the up all night version, which is only an hour and 20 minutes. And I'm wondering if that, that's is... the version, that's the version I saw. I saw the yeah. hour 20 minute version. That's what's, uh, set as the default on that. I mean, not the default. That is the version of the movie on the Blu-ray is the hour 20 minute version with the other 10 minutes of scenes being included as, um, a special feature. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Speaking of Troma now, I do I do feel the need to say this. Like even I, even though we're not affiliated with Troma like in any way, we're not we're not shilling for them. But we are fans. Well, gladly we'll be happy and, uh, to Troma. Troma, if you want to give us money, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, we will gladly take anything. Um, but I do want to mention, like as fans and for the you know the whatever fans uh 
you know, are listening to our show and they have been avoiding getting Troma now because they don't want to watch it on their computer. Uh, you can now watch it on your television. Um, they have it on the Apple App Store and uh, Amazon Fire TV and Google Play. And uh, as of today, it'll be on Roku as well. So that's just cool. Like you can now like. I don't know. I'm excited. Like this isn't an ad. I don't have access to any like of those that. things for my TV. I still can't. Oh. I still need to get something separate because I'm. I have a PlayStation Four. Like that's how I watch everything on my oh, TV man. is via my PlayStation Four. Well, uh, and I already it, checked. Lloyd. I already checked. None of those things will work with the PlayStation Four. Well, that's that's the next that's the next move, Troma. You guys gotta you guys gotta get on that, or uh, or Jeff just, needs to get a smart TV. <laughs> I just yeah, I, I have I don't have a smart TV. I just want them to get like a uh, Amazon channel, and then that way, because that's why yeah, I subscribe like, to Shutter. That's yeah. like, and I can just add it, and it's nice to have all my movies in one spot, and all of all my subscriptions in one spot. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they uh, they don't do that yet. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that wasn't one of the things they rolled out. Um, I, I, and Troma movies regularly appear on Amazon Prime, so like it's not like they don't have a working relationship with Amazon. So, I mean, fingers crossed. Maybe they'll eventually get it up. But like, if anyone yeah. from Troma's listening, I'd really like to subscribe to Troma now, but be able to watch it on my TV. Yeah, for real, for real. Um, well. The good news is I can now watch it on my TV, even if even if you can't. Um, yes. <laughs> you will have to just keep buying those Blu-rays. Maybe maybe they know you're buying all those Blu-rays. They're like, ha-ha, we're getting all that money from Jeff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Don't put that on Amazon. Don't put this guy's keeping us going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's interesting. So Chuma now had two had two different edits. Um, yeah. Yeah, which. Uh, I sure wish they had done that with last week's movie, but hey. Oh, God, yeah, I know, I know. It's funny now, this is like two movies in a row now that we're having like different edits that we can discuss. Though, I'm assuming yours had all the gore in it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And what's interesting, so. the hour and 20 minute long version doesn't have any gore cut out. Hmm. So it's not like it's it's not a censored version of the movie. It just has a whole bunch of like dialogue comedy scenes cut out of it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Huh. And it's definitely the same version I remember watching when I had the DVD like long ago. Like it's definitely the the Blu-rays just the same version that was on the old DVD. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Well, yeah, so it spawned four sequels, and, um, yeah, and, yeah, I mean, a hell of a cult following, like we said, um, um, and it's got, a, I don't know, it's got some laser effects, uh, if I, apparently a famous, uh, holographer named Jason Sapin, created a, I don't, what, holographer, I don't, I don't even care. I'm looking up what it is. I don't even care. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look, it's just I'm I'm just happy any anytime something has lasers in it. It's just uh, easy win for me. Um, this movie though also features the uh to date, to best I'm aware of to date, the only on-screen appearance of Michael Hers. That I didn't know. Michael Hurst appears in this movie. In, uh, as who? In the opening scene of the movie, 
when I guess we should get like get into the movie because this yeah, is, let's like, do open, it. Um, open, I was opening scene. Yeah, is a student. It opens up with introducing Chomaville High, and we're seeing like the students go about their day. While we have the the theme song, uh, I will never get out of my brain as long as I live playing of the uh, Newcomb High. What's going on? Yes, yes. At Newcomb High, what's oh. going on? It's such a it's such an earworm. It's great. It is. I love and and I like I mean, how many? Song. Yeah, before I before I had uh, or before I like tracks down the original Newcomb High, like I. I was really obsessed with the trailer and that and that has that song in it. So like yeah, that song is very very familiar for me as well. And um so while that's playing we're seeing the students and we see one of the students uh go to a um water fountain and as he's drinking the water it goes from <laughs> clear water to this thick green sludge spewing out, which the student does not notice that he's now drinking slime. Whatever, it's a tra- it's a trauma <laughs> movie. And then when he's sitting in class, he begins to have a, uh, uh, a freak out and starts, like, vomiting green goo and, like, losing all control of his body and throwing himself all around. And he throws himself out of the window, and he hits the ground and dies. The first person to le- lean over him, a mustache man, is Michael Hurst. Nice. The very um, first reaction shot you see... When he's on the ground, remember how the, remember how a crowd of people start gathering around him? Oh yeah, yeah. The very first person you see in the crowd, the very first reaction shot is Michael Hurst. And and the real Michael Hurst, not uh, Joe Fleischer, who did the not make one. his who did not make his debut until Troma's War in 1988. Yeah. Yes. Um. The real the actual real Michael Hurst. The real uh, Michael Hurst. Um, there's I a actually, lot. Of- I rewound it and I paused the movie when I was watching. So I'm like, ha ah, it's him. I, I know what he looks like now. That's great. <laughs> you can't hide from me, Michael Hurst. <laughs> um, so the cast, uh, it has a lot of familiar faces from uh, the Toxic Avenger. Um, yes. uh, so the uh, the fellow who um, is in charge of the nuclear plant is portrayed by, uh, was it R.L. Ryan? Oh, uh, I think that's who it is. Um, yeah, he plays the uh, mayor in, if I remember correctly, he plays the mayor in Toxic Avenger, correct? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, and, uh, you know, two of the Cretans are, uh, I don't remember their name in this movie, but it's, uh, Bozo and Slug from, uh, Toxic Avenger. You know, I didn't Um, even connect that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, um... God, I guess I guess those are the, the the main ones I'm thinking of here. But there's, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple other like less distinct people. Yeah. In the movie, but yeah, this was um, uh, I mean that also further goes with the thing of that they were trying to kind of capture some of the same magic that Toxic Avenger uh had and um. Also, what I find interesting is this is now the second movie taking place in Tromaville. That now yeah. we're starting to have like Tromaville emerge as a place with its own history, with its own things going on. And that Tromaville is starting to become a thing in the Troma universe. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I you know before I uh, you know uh, 
started uh, mentioning some of the familiar faces we were gonna we were gonna go over what is going on at Newcomb High um, and, and we, yeah we quickly find out after that uh, after the kid dies that um, that there's a gang in the school who goes by the Cretans and they are <laughs> former basically, honor students <laughs> they, they used to be the honor society and now they're the Cretans and they're selling uh, marijuana to the students in school, but here's the here's the twist: the marijuana that they're getting is being grown at the nuclear power plant. That it's sup- that they're, uh, the nuclear power plant workers are growing weed in the ground there because it grows super fast and quick. So because weed, you know, obviously at this time weed is illegal everywhere in the United States, completely black market. So the ability to get like super quick black market product you know you can make a lot of money for it oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. which also reminded me of like they're selling joints in the movie for 10 to 20 dollars and i'm like how much is that in 19 was it 86 how much is that in 1986 money i'm gonna find out um uh converter but i'm like they're selling their weed for an awful lot of money as someone that has yeah. uh bought a lot of weed over the years i'm like 10 to 20 dollars that's um uh that's a pricey joint right there Uh, yes it is (laughs) i mean i live in like portland oregon and you can buy like you know some top shelf shit a joint of it and that's going to be ten dollars so like price of weed has gone down an awful lot and someone would be like a joint for a joint for ten dollars i'm like yeah but the joints here have like three grams in them you're buying you're buying an eighth they're they're nice they're nice fatties but um (laughs) so the cretans here i'm waiting for this to load up to get the price conversion here the cretans i just want to talk a little bit about their look the people always keep talking about the uh cretans looking punk no no they don't i i don't believe they look punk at all they they look like maniacs they look they, yeah i was gonna say they, they look, look insane crazy. yeah they 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 look like uh I, I mean to be honest they actually look like they walked off um one of those um italian escape from new york ripoffs or something yeah well uh, lloyd kaufman on the commentary said he was in um uh he was doing a series of film festivals in the scandinavian countries and he had a bunch of fans there that were really into punk and were all dressing really punk and the mm-hmm. look of the cretans was directly inspired by the fans he had coming up to him when he was attending these festivals in scandinavia and it's like you know what i can actually kind of get it a bit more now because i can get how like someone like lloyd kaufman would like look at punks and not really know what they are yet and <laughs> he and then his trying to interpret that into in 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 making this movie mm. he got those visual images and it's like yeah. oh okay so oh here's also for reference in uh 19 whoops 86 86 i put the wrong year um 1986 10 dollars would be roughly equivalent to like 25 dollars now so wow. these are like $25 joints. Well, I mean, you know, it's for that atomic high that they're talking about. See, this um, is what happens with a black market. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, while that's going on, there uh, there's kind of a big lead up with the main characters to um, 
uh, there's going to be uh, an indoor bikini beach party. Uh, that which, which we should mention, the main characters are uh, uh, oh, yeah. Warren and Chrissy, who they're two high schoolers dating, and mm-hmm. um, they haven't had sex yet, and but they both really want to. They're just yeah. nervous because they don't know if the other one wants to or not yet. So they haven't there's a whole great bit about that, too. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah. And uh, they haven't lost their virginity yet. And then I'd argue, like, the other main character of the movie is Eddie, who is their, like, mutual friend who um, – he's kind of like the comic relief of the movie. Uh, yeah. He was the one that said, like, the great, great line that you repeated earlier of, like, cramming – you if you want to prepare for college, you should be ramming. Yeah. But um, <laughs> also, I think he's legit the best actor in the movie. Like I can see that. For he's sure. actually, like, really good at being a comedic actor. And a lot of trauma stuff, you can tell the people acting. They're trying really hard, but they don't really know what they're doing. And sometimes yeah. they're overacting because they're kind of insecure that – but Eddie, the actor who plays Eddie, actually comes across as like a, a like legit actor who, a comedy actor who knows what he's doing. Well, I want to give credit where credit is due, so I am looking for Eddie here. Um, His name is James uh, Vernon. James Vernon, and he does not have a picture on IMDb. So, uh, yeah, I was James, trying to look. At- I don't know who you are, but uh, good job, man. Yeah, you did good. I was trying to look up some of these like actors there in this movie, and like nobody like really went on to do anything at all. Like yeah. that's one of the characters. Um, uh, Pat Ryan, uh, Jr. Is that who played the mayor? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he played the um, play. I'm sorry, he played the mayor in Toxic Avenger, and then he was the head of the uh, uh, head of the um. Nuclear uh, power plant. Nuclear plant. Yeah, yeah. Oof, oof, I had to struggle there to get that out. Um, he actually was also in some other movies. Uh, he was in like Street Trash, uh, which is oh, a fantastic yeah. film. Yes, it is. Yes, it he is. He was in 1987's Mannequin, which anyone that listens to the podcast, How the Disc Get Made, is aware of Mannequin. Um, it's a really bad, cheesy romantic comedy about a mannequin, a store mannequin that comes to life. And, like, he was actually getting, like, some, like, acting work in, like, in B-movies. Um, but then he uh, had a sudden death of a heart attack at the age of 44. And oh, bummer. So that ended his career. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, that's right. He is in Street Trash. I remember, I remember his role well. Um, who was he in Street Trash? I, I, well, I don't remember his role. I should say I remember seeing his face in Street Trash. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, it's been a while since I've seen Street Trash, and um, which I love Street Trash, but like, I don't... I, I, I know it's have... not a trauma movie, but I feel like we should do it on the show because uh, people think it's a trauma movie. We've had multiple requests for Street Trash, and I've had to respond <laughs> to all of them. Like, it's not a trauma movie. And people are like, really? <laughs> oh, so it's good. Like, it's like, it should be a trauma. Of all movies that aren't trauma movies, that should be a trauma movie, Street Trash is, like, the number one. Oh, 100%. I mean, it even has, like, the the weird, um, like, people went on to do, like, huge things uh, yes. attached to it. Like, the guy who directed it is, like, the cinematographer on Titanic or some shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, the guy yeah. who 
the guy who directed Street Trash is the biggest cinematographer cinematographer in Hollywood. He yeah. is the number one guy. He's yeah. worked with like every uh, directing film legend, period. And but the only his only movie he ever directed was Street Trash, which oh, is such a shame because. Though I'm sure he made more money working on Titanic than he did from Street Trash, so I have yeah. to accept that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just gotta, yeah, <laughs> just gotta make that money, I guess. Um, I guess. Uh, okay, so should we get back to the bikini party? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so good. So here we yeah. have the 80s sex comedy element coming back into it is uh, all the characters that their their goofy friend Eddie is throwing a beach scene bikini party and he like i don't want to say he pressures wikipedia says he pressures yeah Warren and chris into going and it's more like no they're not sure if they wanted to go or not and he's like and he's their friend and he's like come on it's yeah. a fun time just come and have fun with me i really yeah. want to, so I really he, want to call that pressuring no 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 i mean yeah so he he gets them to, to try the joint at the party which he does pressure them into doing drugs though i will say that Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, there's, there's that a is peer pressure. Of, that is yeah, peer that pressure is. on display right there with, when the joint comes out. But, hey, you know what? It kind of works out for Warren and Chrissy, I would say. Uh, I mean, it, you know, uh, or at least that night it does. I mean, you know, they, they get really high, and um, fuck. They, they fuck, like, a lot. <laughs> and, uh, they, 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 the joint apparently has extreme aphrodisiac properties and they get down they get they, down to it yeah and then they both have weird hallucinations that night um insane hallucinations one of them which uh well one of them uh i almost feel like there was a callback to it in uh tromeo and juliet with the oh, weird pregnancy thing yeah i think it well it has to be it has to be yeah that uh, Chrissy has like a hallucination hallucination about getting pregnant, and basically her like torso expands as if she's like fully nine months pregnant. And um, yeah. and uh, what's Warren's? Uh, I was just gonna ask you the same thing. I uh, I think it it's just he turns into like a subhumanoid or something. <laughs> I remember something happens. I mean, <laughs> that's helpful. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't know. He has some sort of weird hallucination. I don't remember. It wasn't. It's nowhere near as memorable as her hallucination with the weird pregnancy. And yeah. um, she, uh, the next morning, uh, while her, the visible pregnancy is gone, Chrissy does discover that she is pregnant. And essentially, is like morning sickness at the school. And when she throws up. A little monster comes out. He's a little tadpole monster. Yes. Who <laughs> roars at her from the toilet and then before it gets flushed down the drain. Which the roaring the little tadpole monster roaring from the toilet is just an image I've always had stuck in my brain ever since it's I first incredible. saw this movie. I mean, I, I mean, everything about that sequence kind of stuck with me. Like her throwing up the tadpole and then the tadpole like looking up at her and roaring it's just beautiful man it's a beautiful thing it's like one of those scenes that like embodies what i love about trauma if i'm honest and um we then have um the oh after it gets flushed down the drain this tadpole creature ends up i forget where it is
is exactly, but somehow ends up getting spit spit out through the pipes into like nuclear waste. Yeah, which is for un- which is for whatever reason under the school. <laughs> yes, they're storing nuclear waste underneath the school, which I don't think is ever properly addressed in the movie. Because I mean, that could actually be like a subplot of like you know yeah. the principal selling like storage space to the nuclear power plant since they are literally right next to each other. The two buildings are immediately next to each other. Yeah. But or it could be <laughs> that the they're trying to get rid of it in secret. Um but really we just have yeah, yeah, it's a school and, and nuclear fine. waste is being stored in the basement. I, I can go with it. I can go with yeah, it. I'll I mean there's there's enough hilarious establishing shots of like you know, the high school right next to this fucking nuclear power plant. Uh, it's it's just funny to me. It frequently looks like it's almost the same building. Like, the yeah. way that a lot of the shots are framed, it almost looks like they're the same building, that they're not physically close to each other. It does. It does. Yeah, like, because, yeah, it looks like it's almost as if the school is, like, the entrance. Or, to the plant. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um... And I think it's actually like a deliberate film making choice. That way, as we're saying that in the viewer's mind, you're constantly linking the two locations together yeah, in your head. I would since, say they, so. since they are crossing over so much. And yeah. Lloyd Kaufman does think about filmmaking techniques like that. So, he does. Uh, like, he does actually know what he's doing. He's doing this stuff on purpose, believe it or not. <laughs> And yeah, so, like, which I think, is uh, why I love him even more. Yeah, you know, yes. I mean, the guy the guy clearly, I mean, we talk about it a lot. I mean, the guy clearly loves cinema. Mm. Like, I mean. Oh, yeah, because there's a whole running joke in this movie about that the uh, bikini oh. party is happening the same night as a Fellini film festival. Yes, that's and, right, that's and right. And the characters are debating about whether or not to go to the film festi- Fellini film festival. Yeah, Warren and Chrissy, party. like. Yeah, they they were supposed to go to that, but they ended up going to the uh, yeah. Because there's that great line where it's like, "Are you kidding? This is a Fellini film." Like, <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, that's that. Oh, that was a fantastic line. Are you kidding? This is a Fellini film. Yeah. Um, which uh, oh, also got a back. Which first off, none of those jokes are funny at all unless you actually know who Fellini is as a filmmaker. Yeah. So this movie is like there is a series of running jokes in this movie. That requires you having knowledge of a um, Italian art house film director. Like he was, Fellini was Italian, right? I think so. Jesus Christ, I I, I feel like that's yeah. I mean, that his last name's Fellini. He has to be yeah. Italian. Now I've got to double yeah, check. It's Italian. Otherwise. It's Italian. We, okay. we, you were right. <laughs> but yeah, but this this movie's like require like has a joke that doesn't literally doesn't make any sense at all unless you have knowledge of a art house Italian film director. And keep in mind, once again, this is 1986. The Criterion Collection did not exist. Like streaming yeah. <laughs> did not exist. Um, like he wasn't he wasn't something that most most Americans would have any aware of what they were referencing. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um. Oh, and also I wanted to I'll talk about real quick before we moved uh, too far ahead, that also at that um, the bikini party, we have a band playing, which is a real band. Cause, oh. Yes, the band that plays in the movie is the Smithereens is the name of the band. Um, yeah, they were active actually until about 
2017 until the lead singer, who we see singing in the movie, um, uh, passed away. Uh, and no they are kind of like a, like, kind of like, uh, when I say classic rock, I don't mean like, um, like, um, Led Zeppelin. Like Led Zeppelin or anything like that. I mean, like Buddy Holly. They were kind of like, like an old oh, school. Wow. So like oldies. Old style. Yeah, they were, they played in that style and they were based around New Jersey. And, oh, wow. um, in fact, when they were first, uh, they were first in this movie, their, uh, first album came out the same year that, uh, that Class of Newcomb High came out. So they were essentially an unknown band when they were in this. While nobody really hears of them right, like, knows of them anymore, uh, their first, like, five albums in the 80s through the mid-90s all charted in the U.S. that they had a, they had a cult fi- fan following. Nice. Nice. And, um, yeah, so I just thought that was kind of cool. I've been trying to, as we were doing these shows, looking into, uh, uh, like, who some of these musicians are that they get to work with them. Because as we get later into Troma's films, filmography, specifically Lloyd Kaufman's filmography, the bands they get to work with are all the types of bands that I know and I listen to. Yeah. I'm fans. I'm a fan of uh, more into like the punk underground scene. And so I was like, oh, when we were watching it, they had that band, I mean, the bands playing. And I was like, oh, uh, I bet you that's a real band. I'm certain that's a real band. I had mm. to do a little digging, but yes, the Smithereens. Nice. And yes, they are named after the Yosemite Sam's catchphrase. That's great. Um, all right, so um, after uh, you know the monster uh, travels into a barrel and you know, you know, starts growing, uh, the nuclear plant locks down the school to investigate the uh, kid who died at the water fountain. Yes, because they're uh, they don't want to get shut down because they're cutting all these corners as it is. Yeah. And so they're doing lots of illegal s- stuff to make more money. So once again, we start. We also start seeing a little bit of uh, some of uh, Lake Kaufman's like political, yeah. uh, social values come out here because you're having like um, major energy companies like cutting corners, leading to accidents. And mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. disregarding safety measures, things like that, and like that is like things that Lloyd Kaufman legit cares about. Like when yeah. you listen to the uh, Blu-ray commentary, he he spends a good chunk of time ranting about uh, like major conglomerates not being safe for workers and the people around around them. And I mean that's an issue we're still having to this day, as of like oh, this recording God. just a few days ago. We had that horrible building collapse in uh, Florida, the apartment building collapse. That's right. And, like, at the time of this recording, there's only been, like, 11 or 14 people confirmed dead, but there's still over 150 missing. And, unfortunately, they're probably all dead. And we don't know the reason for the apartment building collapse yet, but most likely a lot of evidence is pointing towards um, safety uh, safety standards, repair standards, a lot of things being disregarded, which then mm-hmm. led to a massive loss of life. And like that's what that's the that exact same concept that's being talked about in class of Newcomb High. Is, yep. You know, a thing that's still going on to this day. Yikes! Didn't think I was going to be able to work that into our episode, did you? 
Yeah, no, 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 but I'm not surprised, man. I mean, yeah, I know you. I know you pretty well, and uh, I mean, I, I share a lot of those views. I'm just, I, I'm, 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 I'm a lot quieter, I guess. Uh, you know? <laughs> um, did you did you see the video of it collapsing? It's horrific. Uh, no, no, I didn't. I. It's, uh, it's pretty. It's. Pretty I'm actually. Horrific. I'm actually pretty squeamish when it comes to real life uh, horror. I'm like, you know, yeah. Fair uh, enough. Yeah. I, I have just such a morbid curiosity. I just have such yeah. a morbid curiosity that I'm like, I, I gotta see it. Like, oh, this video, that. I'm like, huh? I'm gonna click play. Yeah, I get that too. I do understand that, you know, completely. Um, but yeah. So, so off so. that ramp, back to the movie. <laughs> yeah, so and, we're in the middle of a lockdown, and uh, one of the workers goes down in the basements, and uh, we get... We get the best... It's like gag of the whole movie. I was going to say, I laughed out loud last night when I was watching this. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe I might have even laughed out loud when I first saw this. Because I I had completely forgot about this scene. Um, And, yeah, like, so. When the guy takes off his helmet and he says, can't breathe in this thing. And you see he's been smoking. He has a cigarette inside his helmet. That cracked me up. That was oh, my yeah. favorite. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was my favorite sight gag of the entire movie. Was him taking off the helmet and he has a cigarette in his mouth. He goes, "I can't breathe in this thing." <laughs> I, yeah, I just was so tickled right. by that's that. Right. No, I was. I was thinking um, what what made me laugh was was actually his death. Was just like the um, you know he gets dragged and you know first he gets his face all torn up and then he gets dragged into the barrel with the monster. Which we yeah. do, we still don't see the monster yet, by the way. We only see like the hands, and you know we saw it as a baby. Um, but uh, and then like yeah, the monster eats him, but then it like coughs up like his left hand and his ID badge. And I don't know for some reason the uh, the hand getting coughed up just I don't know. I just caught the giggles. Like I just <laughs> well, when you say uh, we haven't seen the whole monster yet, we never see the whole monster in the movie. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, we get pretty good shots of them towards the end, but yeah, again, no, like no. Not... Uh, Lake Hoffman talks about all they have ever finished making was the head, the um, and part of a torso. There's never they never made a full monster costume for the movie. All of it is just like creatively shot. That's great, man. That's like, that's awesome. Cause like I would have swore you see a, a scene in the movie with it walking down the hallway towards the end, but that you don't actually see that. It's just implied, and it's just cleverly edited. You never it, actually see that on screen. It's a testament to you know not just their editing the way it's edited, but also like I don't know, just the human brain's ability to uh, fill in gaps, dude. Like, cause like yeah, I really did feel like I saw that thing but like obviously like you know if lloyd's saying that it wasn't even completely built i yeah, obviously they never, didn't they see never the finished thing. the costume they never that's finished the costume bananas. when it came time for shooting and yeah but as you said that's something that like you know a talented filmmaker such as like Lloyd kaufman you can just work your way around and if you just keep showing what you have at the right angles and just constructing it and framing it in the right right way you'll convince yourself that you see the whole creature yeah. um Yeah, I'm like looking it up right now, like because I'm like I you see like a torso of it at the towards the end of the movie, but mm-hmm. I don't think you ever see like a there's no full body shot. Full body thing. No, no. Um, yeah. So, uh, 
so after the guy gets killed, um, we also have the Cretans are have been doing their own thing, where they they've been kicked out of school, and they want to get uh, revenge on both the school and Warren and Chrissy, who they blame them for getting kicked out of school. Which is there a reason that they blame them for it? Because they they, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they think so that it's um yeah so they've been they've been they've been causing a ruckus at the school you know uh, the Cretans have. And uh, they um, they try to get that kid, that super nerdy kid, to buy a joint for like twenty dollars, which would be fifty dollars in cur- current day. Yeah, and then Warren like kicks their asses. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. And that leads to the them getting into the fight. Yes, and then the principal expels them. Yes. Yeah. So. They want to get revenge on the school, and they want to get revenge on Chrissy and Warren. Though it's like, why do they want to be in school so badly? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, well, uh, Wikipedia says it's because, uh, uh, you know, um, that's where their customer base is for selling okay. the joints. I guess that makes sense. I guess, I'll, I, guess I can go with that. Yeah. Um, well, in order to, to get the revenge they want... Uh, Jesus Christ! They bring guns to school. Yes. Oh my God. When <laughs> I, when that when that happens is like yeah. I I don't think this movie would fly quite as well if it came out now. Like if it was a brand new movie coming out now. <laughs> no them way. Taking dude. guns to school and gunning down uh going down a person, which is shown like kind of graphically yeah. in the yeah. movie. Yeah. The, yeah, the principal's assistant gets uh, blown away with like a AR-15 or something. I, I don't know. I'm not really a gun person, so I don't know uh, what kind of gun that is. Uh, it's, it's, it's like an, it's like some version of like an AR. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, I'm just looking at pictures here now uh, online from like all the various scenes with the monster in uh, in uh, Newcomb High. Yep, there's never a full body shot. It's just all uh, the head and part of a torso. Damn. And they also had like they also had like claws that they made like hands they made for like gloves. Well, what you do see is really cool. Oh, I love the design in this movie. Like I love yeah. the monster's design, which we're gonna get the monster being more of a forefront here. But yeah, yeah. the Cretans are uh, they 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 shoot and kill the principal secretary and uh-huh. like and um, yeah they they've gotten the the school they've gotten most of the people to evacuate the school by you know uh using a you know forcing the principal to invoke the radiation alarm that's right that's right yep and and, uh they uh capture chrissy which i believe she interrupts them as they're harassing the the principal yeah uh, because she had to go to the office or something i forget what Mm -hmm. but she goes there for some reason and uh she interrupts them and they uh hold her hostage which now, this is interesting here. They bring up uh, that they got someone special for her and, like, someone with, like, a red head or tall hair. or I forget the exact phrase that they say, something like that, which mm-hmm. leads then into the only scene of the movie that is directed, I can confirm, is directed by um, Robert Haynes. Richard Haynes. Rich, I'm sorry, Richard Haynes. Richard Haynes. 
which is the scene of Chrissy meeting in the um, basement of the school, meeting a Korean, a woman that has this um, red hair set up in almost a pseudo mohawk. It's kind of like a puffed out mohawk. Yeah, yeah. And she's leading. We never see that Korean before or after in the movie. Right, right. And she's leading Chrissy along. The reasoning for that is that character was originally supposed to be the main villain of the movie. Oh, wow. She was supposed to be the head of the Cretans. She was supposed to be the main villain. And she they'd only done, like, um, like some very brief filming, only enough filming to get that one scene. And what actually happened was off, when traveling to or from set one day while they were working on this movie, she got involved in a serious car accident, oh, which... Shit did not leave her physically able to complete the shoot. And because their main villain of the film was no longer able to continue in the movie, this is what led Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hurst to completely rewrite the movie and turn it from Atomic High School into Class of Newcomb High. Wow. Yeah, that's a little interesting right there. Yeah, that is wild. Jesus. Um. So So I will say, uh, you know, speaking of Richard Haynes, uh, he did. It looks like he edited the film. Okay. Even though though he uh, got shit canned from directing it, um, at least according to uh, Wikipedia. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, I see. He is credited on Wikipedia as editing it. Um, Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, directing's hard, guys. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so it was the injury of uh, that actress that led to them completely reworking everything for the movie. And yeah. she now, um, according to like Lloyd Kaufman, she never she didn't suffer a like uh, like any sort of like permanent injury or like you know she survived it and all and that. But it was serious enough that she was unable to uh, continue filming. Wow. Yeah. Damn. And then also, though, she does interact with the monster in this scene, which mm-hmm. means that the monster concept was around the original Atomic High School, like, pitch, the original script. Yeah. They yeah. had to have had the monster in it because they did film scenes with her interacting with the monster. And it is the same actress. Like, it's very blatantly the same actress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, so while they're going to... Uh, they're going to saw Chrissy's uh, nipples off is yeah. the threat Jesus. being given. Yeah, right in front of comes... Warren. Yeah, yes. I love how Wikipedia just glosses it over. It's like, oh, they plan to uh, to kill uh, kill her in front of Warren. And I'm just like, no, no, no. They were going to they were gonna saw off her nipples. <laughs> I don't think they mentioned anything about killing. I think they were just intending to do some brutal body torture. Like... Yeah. Um, but Warren doesn't save the day. The monster saves the day because, hey, that's his mommy. And I remember, like, uh, oh, my God, I never made that connection. <laughs> I'm serious. I never made that connection. Of course the monster saves the day. That's his mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh that's his mom and dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh wow. I feel dumb. I never, I never put those pieces together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I that's learned okay. something. <laughs> yeah, but you know what though? They they it does try to kill them eventually though, right? Because they zap it with the laser, yes. 
Was it ever trying to kill them, or did it just want to hug? That's true. Maybe, maybe this is a tragedy. Maybe this movie's a tragedy. Because the creature then ends up, like, you know, massacring the Cretans, who are trying to kill its parents, and, like, it never actually harms them in any way. It's just constantly oh. trying to get to them. And, like, Shit, maybe man. Like, There's dad, this whole sad subplot to this movie that, like, I don't think anybody is caught on. <laughs> Did to. we discover this? <laughs> Did we discover it? Like, this is actually, like, a Frankenstein kind of thing? In the language of the film, and, like, what we know, that actually does all kind of, like, fit together. Yeah. Like, like Lake Kaufman definitely does not mention anything like that during his commentary. So maybe he didn't even, like, intend it. But, like, now I'm kind of reading it of, like, it just wants his mom and dad. Yeah. Oh. That, that's, that's touching. Um... <laughs> And now here's uh, where we get like all the gore effect pretty much all the gore effects in the movie are in this sequence of Warren and uh Chrissy fleeing from the Cretans with the monster trailing them and the monster running in the Cretans one by one and uh yeah. killing them uh, all in pretty graphic ways. Now what I find really interesting about this is um I watched the uh the short version, the 120-minute version, is uh, labeled as the uh, unrated director's cut. And uh, according to the um, according to the commentary by Lee Kaufman, uh, the DVD release, which is how I first saw this movie, I've really seen this movie first on that like old DVD release of it, yeah. which was also promoted as unrated. Um, all of the gore scenes were cut out. Uh, by the MPAA in order for it to get an R rating, for it to get distribution in theaters. And now I wonder, did the VHS version, which is probably how a lot of people also saw this movie, did that have all the gore cut out of it? Because I think it might have. Oh, maybe. Maybe. I couldn't find any information on that online if the VHS restored the gore scenes. Because, like... Even when VHS came out, like, restoring cut scenes or director's cut versions and stuff, that started becoming a thing in the VHS era. Like, it became, like, super standard in the DVD era, but there were still people doing it in the VHS era. And, so, and I feel like especially Troma must have been. Because like, they were so pissed off at the MPAA constantly. Yeah. And, um, but apparently when this was released in theaters, which also I think could influence, like, the low Rotten Tomatoes rating, it had every scene of violence cut out of it. So, mm. in other words, like, you never saw what happened to any of the Cretans in the original release of this movie, which I could definitely see making the movie much less satisfying when it gets to its climax. Right, because, like, yeah, like, these villains have been, like, running amok the last, you know, hour and ten minutes, and it's like... Here like, we are, supposed to guy, watch them get our comeuppance. And... But yeah, so like like one guy would be on the motorcycle, and you just see the monster swing, and then it'd be cut to like a completely different thing. Another yeah. guy would be riding his motorcycle, the monster's arm comes out, knocks him off, and then that would be the end. Like it'd be very anticlimactic and really cheap looking, because yeah. you wouldn't be aware that the things they spent the money on are actually missing. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, uh. After it takes out all the Cretans, um, yeah, it tries to give its parents a hug, and his, par- 
its parents shoot it with a laser and uh it and the school blow up right as uh the nuclear power plant guy wanders in well isn't it i i took it um i believe the monster goes into meltdown is what's happening yes when it gets hit by the laser it begins going into meltdown which i it's the monster that explodes which takes out the yes yes that's what i mean yeah and they may but warren and christy managed to escape and um uh it's announced that schools can be temporarily closed while they do some remodeling and everyone cheers outside because which is such an 80s moment like very 80s yeah yeah Um, also the great line of oh if this is how wild high school is what's college gonna be like uh Yep, and in uh, the remains of destroyed school, the movie ends on a little creature, tadpole creature, like we saw before, emerges and screams at the camera, and then it's like you know d- the the image freezes, and then dun dun dun, and yeah. then that's the end of Class of Newcomb High, thus setting up a sequel. Though with that look, like is that little creature did was it the big monster get reverted back to its tadpole form? Oh, or is there maybe. another monster? Or, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Cause Who else was pregnant? You know, like, I don't know. This is a high school. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and we don't know how many people were actually smoking the atomic weed, because there are hints that, like, other people were getting it. Oh, um, a lot of people were getting it. Because we yeah. saw, because they smoked the atomic weed at the party. Which also meant their friend Eddie smoked the atomic weed. All okay. the people... That uh, Eddie gave the weed to, um, were smoking it. So like everyone at that, like everyone that smoked weed at that bikini party was probably getting the same radiation infections. Mm, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Which, so go ahead. Sorry. Oh no no it's fine yeah I'm fine you go ahead. No I was just gonna say so um, that's that's class of Newcomb High uh. Do did um what did uh what did uh our friends uh what did the book say about Newcomb High? All right, let's see. Yeah, with uh, the write up and all I need to know about filmmaking, I learned from the Toxic Adventure. Let's see what it says about class in Newcomb High in here. A courageous social statement from trauma about sex, violence, and the power elite's abuse of nuclear power. This trauma classic is set in Chomaville High School, where the students are exposed to reading, writing, and radiation. Psychotic punks, stoners, and the honor society alike transform into nuclear mutants, ride their motorcycles through the halls, and trash the school. It's like the Breakfast Club, only not as stupid and really, really drunk. <laughs> That's a great line. That's a great fucking line. Irrelevant trauma fact number one. The week Newcomb High premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, the radioactive dust from Chernobyl was blowing over the south of France. Kaufman and company have never been the same. Huh. When was the Chernobyl disaster? I don't know whether or not to take them at their word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's... They, We've already exposed trauma. a couple times there of them twisting the truth or not being completely honest over o- o- over some of the things. But 
Chernobyl was in the 80s, if I'm recalling correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, Chernobyl disaster. Do, 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 do. I, um, April 1986. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, that might be about right. Um, that, that, probably, and, that probably is actually accurate because yeah. there was an issue about the uh, radiation falling out to, like, countries thousands of miles away and then wow and then two years later lloyd kaufman decided to try to go mainstream with trauma's war (laughs) i don't know (laughs) maybe it was the radiation making him crazy (laughs) did you think it was the radiation he was having a side effect of that (laughs) um yeah, so, uh, yeah, you mentioned the soundtrack. Um, it was actually officially released um, in 2014 um, uh, under... Uh, Ship to see. Shore Phono Company. Never heard of them. Yeah, I've never heard of that company either. Um, yeah, but, yeah, it was, you know, released exclusively on vinyl. Um with uh yeah it's got the oh it even includes the uh the trauma leader 15 seconds which uh we use for this show oh yeah yeah um and uh yeah it has the smithereens and it has um you know that uh nukem high earworm which that, is by uh, ethan and the coup yeah so uh his the band Ethan and the Coup is uh, the composer for the film Ethan Hurt his band Ethan and the Coup um and yeah, uh, yeah, we already kind of talked about the sequels, um, and we will be talking well, about the sequels way more in depth did, in later really, episodes. We didn't really talk about the sequels at all. We just we just mentioned that there are that there's four of them. Yes, there's four of them. Two are awful, and two are absolutely fantastic. Okay, all right. I actually have not seen any of the sequels, so I I have uh, seen, seen all of them. Um, one of them has a giant radioactive squirrel, and it doesn't save the movie. So apparently, that's uh, that is uh, that it's um, a. Um, I was just I was just looking at it. What the fuck? Uh, Tromi, the radioactive squirrel, is in. Yes. Uh, in yeah, in uh, the first, in uh, in the second, and the third. Um, Which Tromi is the best part of those movies. Yeah. And, and then there was the two parter, which I'm. You haven't seen them yet, which actually kind of surprised me. Return yeah. to Newcom High Volume 1 and Return to Return to Newcom High, a.k.a. Volume 2, which yeah. are fantastic. They are cool. fucking great. Cool. Uh, they'll be really fun for us to cover at some point. But I feel like if we're going to cover those, we've got to get through the two, the two bad ones first. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then we can get like a, then we can get a treat and reward it over watching a good watching some good movies. Cool. But yeah, this is like I don't really have a whole lot of like, like a lot of the background stuff I have about this movie. We've kind of already gone through like yeah. um like in the uh, in like Hoffman's book and uh, talking about this movie, it goes into a lot of detail about like how a lot of the special effects were done and things, but there's not really much to really say about the production of it because they are coming off the success of the toxic Avenger and Mm -hmm. they want to try to capture that magic again. And, Oh, it's already kind of mentioned that, uh, 
it, it, it bombed with critics and it was a failure at the box office that uh, like Kaufman remarks on the commentary that he was very disappointed in the release in the release of the film that really nobody went to go see it because he thought he had something uh, he thought he had something here and I would argue um, that he did. I really like the movie. Uh, I think it's really good and really fun. And I don't like it as much as some other trauma movies, other Lloyd Kaufman movies. But that's mostly because of, like, I'm not really whole into the whole high school aesthetic. But mm-hmm. it is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like interesting that, that it didn't catch on and find an audience right away. Because high school movies used to be, like, a much bigger thing than they are now. Yeah. Like, high school movies, I mean, yes, this- still- come out but they used to be a really like big thing yeah this was in the era of yeah i mean they mentioned it the breakfast club like john hughes movies you know i mean it was yeah this was you know you would think this would have uh at the very least gotten gotten over as like a uh a parody of those kinds of movies a parody of those or would have found kind of a, an audience of um people being like oh wow this is like a really weird uh, yeah. like take on these movies and like I don't think this movie actually really started to find its audience until um, well it's interesting you mentioned the Troma Now version of it that's 120 minutes called the Up All Night version because uh, the USA channel used to have a late night movie series called USA Up All Night yes. and they would show actually lots of Troma movies and I believe it was uh, showing Class of Newcomb High on USA is where a lot of people first saw it and where it really first started to develop a um, heavily developed cult audience. However, I find it very doubtful that USA was showing the uncut version of the movie. Yeah. So when they say the Up All Night version, like, I'm not quite sure. Well, the Up All Night version is the 120-minute version on, on Trauma Now, and then the... the uh... Which is the one I watched that has all of the... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, movies. I see what you're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And so huh. then calling that the Up All Night version, obviously in tribute to USA Channel's Up All Night, there's no way that's a coincidence. Yeah, but I, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they showed more, because uh, that, that show was on late at night, right? Like, it was... Yeah, but, like, this was in the, like, in, like, the nine, like mid-early 90s, if I'm recalling correctly, with USA yeah. Up All Night. And, like, they still censored movies. It was a basic cable station. Like, they still right. censored movies. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember a lot of, uh, you know, I was watching um, uh, Monday Night Raw a lot back then. And, you know, that's... Um, they got into a lot of trouble during the Attitude Era, like, for stuff they would show sometimes. Um, they would sometimes run into trouble with USA. And that's, it was on USA, which is why okay. I it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes so sense that the same station that was uh, doing um, professional wrestling was also showing trauma movies. That makes sense. Absolutely. Totally tracks. <laughs> I mean that very seriously. I mean, I've, that's like not a sarcastic or back. No, I agree. Like, oh, I, I oh yeah, that makes sense. There was somebody on, there was some programming people there on board that had like, they, 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 they knew what market they were trying to court. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um, I don't think I ever watched any movies on USA up all night. I don't think I did either. I was, I mean, it was usually on, if I remember correctly, it was on, on a school night. Was it not? I have no idea. 
Yeah, like I mean, I feel like I I would have I wouldn't have been allowed to like you know stay up that late. I um I I just remember that when USA oh, it ran from eighty nine to ninety eight. Yeah. Oh shit! It was hosted by Gilbert Godfrey. I definitely watched some of this. Yeah. Because I huh. definitely remember Gilbert Godfrey hosting like horror movies. Yeah, I think it had, um, if I recall correctly, it had various hosts throughout the years. I could be wrong, but... Gilbert Godfrey hosted it its entire time, but there were other guest hosts. Oh, okay, that makes sense. All right. So that's, yeah, probably, yeah. What you're th- that's probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was always being pre- presented as, like, a fancy black tie party, but they were showing, like, really trashy... Uh, that's amazing. Trashy movies. Yeah, that's okay. awesome. We brought back Joe Bob Briggs. Let's bring back this. Let's bring back up all night as well. Like, <laughs> get Robert, Gilbert idea. Godfrey with it because I like Gilbert Godfrey. Uh, oh, for <laughs> sure, for sure. That guy is, yeah, that guy is well, funny. I, I do know. Um, I just recently came across this little bit of trivia, completely unrelated to all, all the trauma stuff. Looking up that uh, when Joe Bob Briggs was hosting, well, one of his various shows that he hosted, because mm-hmm. people remember him from Monster Vision, but he actually had several. Uh, uh, right, right. Movie shows that he hosted, and um, if he was showing a movie that night, he particularly did not like. He would tell people to change the channel to to USA Up All Night. Oh, that's funny. Since they're essentially like the same kind of thing of B movies with a host and that, and rather than it being competitive, uh, Joe Bob Briggs would tell people like tonight's movie sucks change the channel to USA up all night. They're, whatever they're showing, it's going to be better than whatever I'm going to watch. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's pretty funny. That's pretty that cool. is funny. That's great. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so it's probably like in that, like it, it was around that time period. Like I know I said 10 years and it's a span of a decade, but I believe like a lot of the trauma stuff was like the early and mid nineties is when USA up all night was showing a lot of trauma stuff. Yeah, and probably purely because the rights to get them were cheap, yeah. and I know that that era and USA Up All Night, um, Troma has at several places directly credited that is one of the things that really helped them build a fan base, and people are really starting to identify Troma as a company and as like a yeah. brand, and I believe that's I'm really convinced that's where Class of Newcomb High started to get. I can following. see that for sure. I can see that for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, trauma. I mean, you know, they we, we laugh about you know like how like low budget everything is or whatever, but they really do understand marketing and and stuff like you know like because I mean yeah like I think a lot of people discover them through like up all night, but like I discovered it from like the you know, the DVDs and stuff, like, because the catalogs and the DVDs, like, you know, I would be like, oh, yeah, I want to buy that Toxic Avenger movie. And then I'd open the DVD and I'd see, like, you know, like 30 movies with these insane titles. And I'm just like, all right, down the rabbit hole I go. <laughs> oh, when I was in small town Pennsylvania, um, my uh, video store had a trauma section. That's awesome. It wasn't huge. It was probably, like, 20, 30 movies, but they ordered like 20, 30 movies and then put them all on a shelf together and labeled it Troma. That's great. I love and that. And that was when I first really 
got exposed to trauma was I it was like when I was starting to dig more into like underground underground movies and that and be like, Oh, Toxic Avenger, I've heard of this one. I'm gonna rent uh like oh I already brought up I saw Terra Firmer first. Right. But then it's like, oh, Terra Firmer, this is interesting. And then Toxic Avenger would have been second. And then I just went out from there. Yeah. And well, like I uh, mentioned in last week's uh, episode that I read about that marketing book by uh, Jeffrey Sass, who, who was the head of uh, Troma's marketing for about uh, like seven years, I think it was, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly, he mentions in the book. And he makes a really interesting point in the book about how uh, – how how much of a brand identity trauma has in how unique of a brand identity they have that's like um he makes the argument and you may disagree with this and some people listening may disagree with this i actually don't personally very much agree with it that the only two movie studios ever at least in terms of us us films the only two movie studios ever the people are fans of and we'll say like I'm a fan of blank are Disney and Troma and no I'd say that's not, about right they could not be I was, I was I was actually expecting you to be like what about full moon but it's like full moon never achieved that brand identity in my opinion no it was like full moon's close but like not as much like for me it was like it was always certain Full Moon titles more so than more so than the Full Moon brand, if that makes sense. And Full like, Moon never really solidified its brand. Like, if you ask me what is the Full Moon brand outside of, like, low-budget genre, I couldn't really tell you. Well, Whereas yeah. the Troma brand, like, I hear Troma, I think there's going to be some – there's going to be some tits on screen. There's going to be some blood. There's going to be goo. There's going to be goo. Yes. There's going to be monsters. There's going to be... Um, a lot of weird, inappropriate humor. <laughs> a lot of inappropriate humor. There's going to be <laughs> weird people being presented in, like, visually... I mean, I'm trying to phrase this in a not insulting way because I truly don't mean it insulting. Like, uh, people who look physically unusual being presented as heroes and yeah. positive characters, which is also something like you don't see. Um, uh, like Troma really has a brand and Troma also has that feeling to it. And so I, I believe I've ranted before about this of it's so fucking punk that like Troma is so inspiring because when you watch it and you watch these movies and like, man, if they made this, I can make a fucking movie. And, yeah. and you know, we said earlier about how hard making the movie is, but that doesn't stop people from getting in their heads. And yeah. so many people have made movies inspired. Like they saw watch trauma and they're like, I can fucking do it. And they've managed and they somehow managed to do it. And then a lot of them end up getting released by trauma. <laughs> and, and yeah. so, like, it's, uh, like, and then there's Disney, which could not be further from uh, trauma. And some people are like, well, what about uh, what about Marvel Studios? Disney owns that. Oh, wait, what, yes. what about Pixar? Disney owns that. Like, there's, 
maybe Studio Ghibli, uh, I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly, forgive me if I'm not, the um, uh, Japanese anime studio, but that's also why I prefaced it with um, American studios, because I do know there's some studios in other parts of the world that do have very, very dedicated followings, Mm -hmm. but if we're talking about American filmmaking, really that successfully nailing a brand identity and having loyal fans of that brand identity that will go see anything that they point put out because it's I'm a blank fan. Now it's I will just, say it's just trauma and Disney. I will say that distribution um, companies I, there might be more yeah. of those. With, with distribution companies, you're also then running into the thing of like they're essentially curated film lists right. because they're not making the movies. They are exactly picking movies that they're going to put out, right. and you could have a distribution uh, company that has a really, really solid brand identity over their taste. Um, A24 is probably a fantastic example. I know lots of I was going to say the Criterion Collection, but... Oh, okay, but they're yeah. also all distributed. People aren't, um, if people aren't aware of this, A24 doesn't make any movies. They're a distributor. Right. And, right. Um, but yeah, you have like Criterion... Um, Arrow video, uh, Vinegar Syndrome right now. Uh, back in our no. back in our day, fucking Anchor Bay. Anchor oh, fucking Bay, yeah. Man, Anchor Bay. Oh yeah, we've talked I about spent, them on this show before. We, we have. I've spent. I back in the day, I spent. Anchor Bay got so much of my money. And yeah, they got a lot of my money too. And now I'm just like, damn, they're not around anymore, are they? No. Nope. Well. We, we are. We went to on a previous episode. We did, but I can't remember. <laughs> they technically are. They're a subsidiary of another company now, but they oh, essentially. Oh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember now. They essentially, though, no longer exist. Do anything, at least not. Yeah. At least not in any meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh! I did find a, uh, another little detail about Class of Newcomb High that I found really interesting. In, oh yeah. Um, in the, in that movie we're talking about this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did, well, it, re- it relates to some things going on. So, we you know, we discussed the uh, Mother's Day remake, and um, we talked about, like, that the there's a Toxic Avenger remake that looks like it's actually going to happen, and its cast listing is going fucking nuts. I think it's going to actually be pretty awesome. I think, yeah, I, I think you're right. Looking at all the people involved in, in this upcoming Toxic remake, yeah, like, I, I actually think this is probably going to kick ass. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> and, um... Apparently, I found in an interview back when the Mother's Day remake came out that Lloyd Kaufman had also mentioned the class of Newcomb High had been optioned for a remake. Yeah. Obviously, that's never come out. Yeah. I don't really know how you would do this movie in modern day America. And what I mean by that is it seems like the core thing of it needs to be a weirdo action horror movie taking place in a school and yeah. people have only become more and more sensitive to depictions of violence in school right and yeah because so, even i was uh you know in this one you know uh i was watching it and i i was like oh i completely forgot there is like uh, actual school shooting in this movie. <laughs> I had I had the exact same reaction as you did. Was oh, yeah. like oh shit, I forgot this is in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a school shooting in this movie. I forgot about that. Yeah, and like um the last like 
help me remember, like, the last real, like, big release movie that I can think of that featured, like, violence in the school, all I can really think of is, like, The Faculty, and that got yeah. a shit ton of blowback when it came out because it featured yeah. violence in the school. And mm-hmm. that was in the late 90s. Like, that, that was, was, like, 98, was, 99. Yeah, something like that was pre-Columbine, like, a year before Columbine, you know? Was that before Columbine? Or? Yeah, because Columbine was 99, and uh, Faculty was, like, 98. I thought, um, so then I think then, I think the faculty may have actually also gotten, like, some blowback. Uh, faculty was 98, and the uh, Columbine Massacre. Oh, man, I, I'm figuring out ways to squeeze in all sorts of, like, awful things. Into... Yeah. <laughs> and when was the Columbine Massacre? Uh, 99. So, yeah, faculty was a year before uh, the Columbine Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we've had worse school shootings since yeah. Columbine. Jesus. Like I, I think like depicting violence in a school is something that's like very difficult to for a mass release movie. Now, like, I'm sure there's other movies. I'm sure there's smaller movies that have featured um, uh, violence in a school setting since the faculty. I'm just trying to think of like things that got mass releases, things that people would have seen or most people would have seen or heard of, and. Um, like, I don't really know if you can do, like, I don't think anyone's going to put up the money for it. I don't think, uh, I don't think anyone's going to distribute it. I don't think theaters would show it. And I think even if you did jump through all those hurdles, I think you'd get a lot of like social blowback over like releasing a movie featuring violence in a school setting now. Yeah. it's, It's not really something that people can like laugh at because it. Like in class in Too close High, to home. Yeah, in class in Newcomb High, it was an abstract, whereas now, unfortunately, it's become part of the American culture. Like, we're yeah. not even faced by school shootings anymore for the most part. Like, there's actually, like, a dozen school shootings I bet if I brought up to you, you wouldn't even remember them. Like... Probably, yeah. Like, we only remember the ones now that break the, break the record. Like that's yeah. how much mass shootings happen in the United States now. Is yeah, only the ones gross. only the ones that break records are remembered, which Yikes. is like a really sad state of affairs. Yeah, no shit. So um, it's like how how would you do Newcomb High in modern day environment? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, and someone's like, but Troma made two new Newcomb High movies, and it's like, yeah, but no one fucking saw them. I'm like, what? <laughs> Like, I and I, I I I I haven't seen him, and 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 I wanted to do a trauma podcast. Only fifty percent. This this show was Lucas's idea, and only fifty percent <laughs> of the show has seen the new the new movies. So it's like they weren't they weren't big things. Like, oh. and also like the school setting, I just don't think is really as popular anymore. At least not for like a genre movie. It seems like all school movies, high school movies that come out. Or just like firmly in like uh, uh, comedy or coming of age drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so all that said, uh, I do recommend the original Newcomb High enthusiastically. Uh, oh yeah, fuck yeah, this movie's to, awesome. Yeah, to uh, trauma fans, to fans of '80s movies, to fans of weird monster movies. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, all around. Yeah, fuck yeah, I recommend this. This is great. Yeah. This is like if you if 
if uh, for some insane reason uh, you're like listening to this show and you haven't seen like a Lloyd Kaufman movie before, this is uh, uh, definitely one of the ones I'd recommend. Perfect place to start. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you want to do next week? Shit, I don't know. What should we do next week? <laughs> I, uh, for some reason, I've been wanting to revisit uh, Redneck Zombies. Oh! I, you know, that was one of the ones that was kind of like on my mind about like, oh, if we do a uh, non, if we do a non-trauma movie, Redneck Zombies could be a really funny, fun one. And also, like my research and stuff here for some of the movies we've talked about, I've already come across a whole bunch of uh, uh, behind the scenes back, backstory now, stuff with Redneck Zombies. Now, when you say uh, non-trauma, you mean uh, non-Lloyd Kaufman? I'm sorry, I meant I meant non-Lloyd yeah. Kaufman. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I misspoke. Cool. Thank you for okay. thank you for catching that. Cool, yeah, cool. non-Lloyd yeah. Kaufman, because uh, Redneck Zombies was specifically made by trauma fans who were inspired by trauma with yep. the goal to get a movie released by trauma. And yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, shall we uh, do Redneck Zombies next week? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's I'm do excited. Redneck Zombies. Fuck yeah. yeah. You can't beat, uh, can't beat beer that turns people into zombies. That is... Oh, shit. So we're going to go from uh, one week weed that turns people into subhumanoids and then yes. next week beer that turns people into zombies? Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. Okay, in case you, anyone listening couldn't figure out, we both have already seen this movie before. This is not going to be a new one for either one of us. Yeah, that's okay. It's because it's been a really long time. It's been a really long time for me, too. I haven't seen Redneck Zombies probably since, um, uh, I think I was in college the last time I saw Redneck Zombies. Yeah, it might, yeah, yeah, it might be even longer Once for me. Again, it's, it's, I can actually still remember some things about the movie, and it was one of those movies, uh, like the original Mother's Day that it's like I don't remember much about it, but I remember liking it more than I expected to. Yes. So we're gonna it'll be interesting to see if it holds up or not. Whereas like Mother's Day totally held up. Oh yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see how much how much uh Redneck Zombies holds up. Hell yeah. All right. Well um until then, um yeah, follow us on uh Twitter and Facebook and uh you know what? uh what do you want to plug? I think we should plug things every week. Yeah, I'm down with that. Um, There's no reason not to. So what, what, do you, what do you got to plug? Because you got so much shit coming out. You need to, We have a show. There are some people listening. We know they're listening. You should use this as a reminder because you got so much stuff going on about what. Yeah. I uh, God, what do I have going on right now? Um, you know what? Uh, I talked about, uh, you know, uh, the one book that I'm that I'm kind of promoting right now, but uh, I want to I want to take it back a little bit. Uh, there is a book that I think listeners to this show will probably really enjoy uh, called Pandemonium. It's uh, yeah. co yeah co-written by myself and Ryan Harding. It is equal parts a tribute to Italian horror, like specifically the Demons movies, and um, also yeah. uh, also uh, wrestling. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's a uh, it's about a uh, wrestling event that um, you know somebody gets there's a sacrifice performed in the ring and uh, people in the audience start getting uh, possessed and uh, attacking each other. It's 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 a blast, man. It's uh, it's one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of. And you need to mention that you co-wrote that book with the very fucked up author Ryan Harding, author of one, Genital Grinder, one of the most degenerate authors to have ever lived 
Like, that said, one also one of the sweetest guys ever. Oh, he's such a cool guy. He's such he's yeah. such a nice guy. Yeah. But man, the shit that comes out of his brain is man, yeah. it's fucked. <laughs> yeah. So co-written with Ryan Harding, um, and uh, yeah, um, a love letter to um, to uh, to Italian horror and all things splattery and and wrestling. Um, yeah, you can grab that on Amazon. It's a uh, pandemonium and. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so then I'm going to continue my thing of plugging something that I have nothing to do with, just something I think is cool. Eventually, I'm going to have, like, another thing going on, and I can start plugging that. But until then, I'm just going to highlight shit that I think is cool that not a lot of people are paying attention to. Because, yeah. like, last week we had uh, Talking Trauma. I'm going re- to plug another podcast this week. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. This one, though, is for me. This is a podcast for me. It's called Checkered Pass, the Ska Cast. Um, oh, it's only five episodes deep. It's made by two Canadians. And the sh- uh, do I have their names here? Uh, uh, Celine and Rob are their names. And each, uh, each episode, or sometimes multi-episodes, is a deep dive into the uh, history of a particular ska band. So far, they have covered Safe Ferris, the Planet Smashers, Johnny Sacco, and this most recent uh, series they did was on the Interrupters, and I oh. particularly wanted to plug it because of the Interrupters series, that um, they're actually, like, a first ska band to have a couple radio hits in, like, a very long time, but the Interrupters also have a really kind of sordid past with their involvement <laughs> in the music industry, and also involvement with the Ron Paul presidential campaign and the Alex Jones show, and I oh. thought the, I thought the podcast um, uh, did an excellent job in very evenly uh, covering all the nuances and controversies around them. I just think that they're doing an excellent job of doing in-depth research and telling the history of these bands, which you know, outside people like me, nobody cares about. I'm a big Choma fan. I'm a big ska fan. Um, so the show <laughs> once again is Checkered Past the Ska Cast. So if you just search for Checkered Pass on any on any podcast provider, it's really obvious. There's a couple podcasts called Checkered Pass. It's really obvious which one I'm talking about. So yeah, I'm cool. going to plug that podcast. They seem like really super cool people. I really dig their show and what they're doing. And Sounds oh, also fun. Checkered Pass has followed our podcast on Twitter. What? No shit. All no right. shit, because I was um I was praising them the other day on their new episode, and so they uh, followed me on Twitter, and then they followed our show here. So, oh, hell yeah. Hell so yeah. I'm like, okay, then I have to give them a shout-out on, well, on, on on recording here. And and their names, it was uh, Celine and... Uh, oh, shit, I already forgot now. I think it was Rob. Uh, Celine and Rob, I believe. Celine yeah. and Rob, yes, yes, Celine and Rob. All right, well, Celine and Rob, thank you for following us, and uh, yeah, I'm, I look forward to checking out your show as well. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that is class of Newcomb high. Uh, we will see y'all next week for, um, redneck Redneck. zombies. Hells yeah.